Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. So Father, we thank you so much for today, Lord. I thank you. We lift up Australia to you, Lord. And uh, we thank you, Father, that uh, the hearts of all the leaders in this country, we thank you according to the scripture that you said they're in your hand and you can steer them. So, Father, many promises are made, many things are said, Father, but we even ask that you would remind them of promises they make, they, they would fulfill promises, Father, they would do things that are righteous and holy, they would do things that are right for Australia. We lift that up to you, Father, we thank you that you influence them, you speak to them, you, uh, uh, you move their hearts uh, and, and navigate them, Father God, for the betterment of Australia, for what's best for Australia, in Jesus' name. And then, Father, we thank you as we look into your word today, Father, Thank you so much, Father, that uh, it is revelation that, we're, that you enlighten us, that it's just not words, but it's something that becomes real to us, and we put it into practice in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to start off with a scripture in John chapter 1 and verse 16. It says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the highest expression of God's love for mankind would be grace. Grace is being given, you know, God giving us what we don't deserve. The world was a bunch of sinners. A lot of perverted kind of sin. What we would think as terrible as a Christian, Jesus died for that. Mercy, on the other hand, means that we don't get what we do deserve. So it's kind of wonderful that we can go to the throne room and get both mercy and grace. In other words, when you miss it, you should deserve something not good, but you go get mercy and you don't get that, but then we can also have grace and get things we don't deserve. You know, that's why I, I said this before, but it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's almost like you can't put it into words how good God has been to this world. He's been very good to all of us, you know. And so, hi, Wendy. Just saw you there. Praise the Lord. Got a little emotional. So um, look at 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. And the Lord is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Now, 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 I just really noticed some things in this scripture that I really never noticed before, like the every, the every, so, so that in every way, always, look at the always, having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. So grace is more than just the word. Sometimes, you know, it's thrown around grace, and but but when we talk about grace, it's more than a doctrine, it's more than a word. It's a tangible substance. One minister described the Holy Spirit one time as a heaven, heavenly material. He's, I think he said materiality, which I don't know if that's a word. A heavenly materiality is a tongue twister. But just, uh, you know, the presence of God being substance, material. Well, grace would be the same thing. Grace would be a heavenly substance. It's not just only a word. It's just not only a doctrine. It's heavenly substance. It's real. 
So grace enables us in every way so that in every way, that's what that scripture says. It enables us in every way. It provides everything we need. Always having everything you need. And then it enables us to excel in every good work. So we're going to say a few things about grace this morning. Now the opposite of grace would be willpower. And I'm sure many of us in this room have exercised willpower. Before I was a Christian, my brothers and I, at least three of them up there, we were bodybuilders. And we used willpower because we weren't Christians. Discipline. We lifted weights. We did dieting stuff. You know, when you want to cut, they call it cutting up in the bodybuilding world. You cut up. That means no carbs, no sugar, protein. You know, it, it gets rid of the fat and then you see the muscles. Very hard to do. I never really even did that good at it, to be honest with you. Italians like pasta. So I wasn't so good at cutting up. But we, we, we knew people that were really good at cutting up, you know, that they, they just did the protein and, and the vegetables. Willpower. But will, that's not, willpower isn't grace. Grace isn't willpower. Human effort, and there's a lot of human effort out there, and people discipline themselves, and there's a lot of good things that happen through willpower and human effort, but it's, not, it's different than grace. There's human intelligence, and I've, I would say how many of here are alive because of doctors that use some discipline, willpower. They might not be Christians, but they did what they needed to do, became a doctor, and they saved people's lives. So we do not uh, belittle any of those things, but it's, that's different than grace. Uh, human strength, uh, also, uh, that's different than grace. So bodily exercise is good. It profits a little bit, but godliness is profitable for everything. So here's what the Thayer's, here's what Thayer's says about grace. Now, the Greek word for grace is charis. So here's what Thayer says. It says, charis is used of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. I love that. And without even realizing it, because if you've been saved for years and the fact that you're sitting in this room means that he kept you, he strengthened you, he increased you, that's why we're here not because of how great we are or anything great that we did, but because of him, because of his grace. So today I just want to talk about grace to run our race. So um, things that are impossible and difficult that cannot be done by men or women alone, those things can be done by God's grace. Now, I don't know how many of you accomplish things uh, that you're serving God and like there's a grace that came on you to do a certain thing that God said to do and you're just doing it and it's, it doesn't seem like it's hard it doesn't seem uh, like that there's this heavy weight on you but you actually do something God said to do and then you look back 
down the road and you go like, wow, I did that. And, and I don't even know how I did that. It's the grace of God. That, that, the first time that happened to me is, you know, we went to Italy and we were missionaries in Italy. We left in August, arrived there, and got a Bible school going in September in, in a country where even though I have Italian blood, I couldn't speak Italian very well. And I thought, how did we do that? And I look back and how, how did that happen? And we were in Italy for nine years. We eventually started to learn Italian. Now, I could speak some Italian, but my father and mother spoke a very rough dialect from the South. And, it, and a lot of people didn't even understand what my parents spoke, so we had to start all over. But it's just amazing when you look back and think, how did that happen? And I'm sure every one of you can think, how did I do that? And it's because when grace comes on us, we have grace in us, we have grace on us. When that happens, we're supernaturally empowered. It's a tangible substance, and it enables us. So here's some, like, just some thoughts. I thought, you know, how can we illustrate this in the natural? So, you know, like, so I, I have in front of me, like, a pallet, and it's got, like, boxes, really heavy, like books that are real heavy with hard, hard-covered books and real heavy, and I, and I think I want to pick that up, but, but I, I can't. But then there's what you call a, to, a forklift, and that's like the big equipment. That's like enables a person to pick up a pallet like that that's so heavy that you can't. That's what grace does for our race. When we run the race and you have something, you could say grace is like big equipment. Like what if you want to drill like a hole to put like a telephone pole down into the ground? Well, there's some big equipment. Like you might get a shovel and do that. It might take you a long time. You can't even really get as deep as that goes. But you bring out the big equipment and it can be done. There's things that God wants us to do when we run our race and we need grace to do those things. Uh, what about uh, if you want to like have a, you have a thick piece of wood? You can do it with a hand saw, but what a difference if you have that kind of a saw. You know, that makes it really easy to cut a piece of wood like that. That piece of wood would be hard to cut by. You could get it done, but, you know, you bring out the big equipment, and it's just a lot easier. You have the grace of God doing your Christian walk, and it's just a lot easier. You know, what if, uh, what if uh, you know, one of the shipping companies needs to move a bunch of big containers, you know? And, well, there's a freight train right there, you know, to move those containers. So those are just things in the natural to try to help us see that in the spiritual, you know, we do our life and we have to deal with our flesh on a daily basis. We have to deal with our emotions on a daily basis. We have to deal with our bodies. We have to deal with uh, the rigors of everyday life. We deal with all those things. You know, they can seem heavy, but when, when grace is there, it's, 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 not, it's not what we think. Uh, Jesus said, my yoke is what? And my burden is light. So thank God for his grace. So Jesus now, he didn't do life or ministry alone. And we see that, you know, that if we start after 30 years walking on the earth, he was baptized. Let's pick up and read there in Luke chapter 3 in verse 21. It says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, the heavens were open. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. So Jesus spent 30 years, like mainly he was unseen. But during those 30 years, you could say he tended to himself. He tended to the things that would be him and the Lord, relationship, fellowship. It was a time of preparation. That's what he did for 30 years. He was unknown. Now, here's a thought for all of us. Um, it's important for us to understand we can please God for who we are, not only for what we do. And why do I say that? Because when, when the heavens were open and God spoke, he said, this is my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Well, well Jesus wasn't in the ministry yet. Jesus didn't work any miracles yet. He didn't heal anyone. And the Lord said, I'm well pleased with you. So one reason that I believe for all of us Christians to know this is if we get to this place where we tend to our relationship with him, our fellowship and relationship with him, then we won't be driven in ministry, but we will be led in ministry. There's a difference between being driven and being led. People that have something missing where they are never satisfied and they think they always have to do more and more to get somebody to be pleased, those are in a category where they end up being driven. People that really tend to their relationship and they know they're complete in Christ, find out who they are, and they know God loves them for who they are, not for what they do, they're in a good position to be led instead of being driven, if that makes sense. So this is something we can all learn from, and I've tried to practice this. Uh, as you know, like, well, you know, you can tell by looking at me, I've been around for a little while. So 44 years as a Christian, I just happened to get around somebody that taught us these things early on. And so I never allowed myself to be driven. If the Lord told me right now to walk away from ministry, I would because I, I'm not doing anything except for what he tells me to do. And this is important for all of us that we're not driven, but we're led. Okay. All right. So then um, I've heard these stories uh, of children that like they want to gain their parents' love. And so the way they do it sometimes is they buy them something or they give them something thinking if I do that, my parents will love me or love me more. And then many times you hear the response of what parents say, and they say, listen, if you never buy me anything, I love you because you're my daughter, you're my son. I love you for who you are. You don't have to do anything to buy my love. That's the same thing God is telling us from heaven. It's like you don't have to do anything to buy my love. I loved you when you were sinners, and then you received me as a Lord, and I still love you whether you do anything or not. And, and so that, that's, we, that's like the first that's getting to first base. We all want to be there. Then you can go to second base from there. Okay. So um, we can get so driven and intense that we need, you know, and, and hear me right. 
signs and wonders and miracles are wonderful, but if we get so intense and we get so driven that we're just always saying we have to have that, but we're really, in a sense, not fellowshipping and we're not really in that place of contentment, it's not a healthy place to be. So we can have both things. And that's all I'll say right there for now. But I want to move on with Jesus because look what happened then. The Father said, I'm pleased with you for who you are. But then look at verse number 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. This is when he was released. So the Lord was pleased with him for who he was, but then it was time to move into this phase of his life, this phase of his ministry. And so he began to heal and he began to work miracles. And so I know that God was pleased with this aspect of Jesus also. And the same thing would be true with us. If we lay hands on the sick, if we do things uh, to help and minister people, God's pleased with that. But Jesus, he was pleased with him for who he was. So it's important for us to know that. All right. So here's, uh, Jesus said this right after he healed somebody in John 5 and verse 16. And look at this. He said this, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. So what we see with Jesus is the relationship that he had. Uh, He was with the father. He was communicating with the father. The father loved him for who he was, but he was getting his direction from the father. So grace would be something like this, that you do things and it's almost sometimes unconscious because we're being, in a sense, somebody said it this way once, you can be unconsciously led by the Holy Spirit. So we saw Shannon giving her testimony on the screens today, and she was just praying, and the Lord said to pick some rosemary, was it? How odd that was. In a sense, she was unconsciously being led by the Spirit of God, and she gets rosemary, and it really had something to do with what she was going to do next. It can be the same way with everything. Now, now Smith Wigglesworth, he just prayed every morning and said, Lord, he just did one a day. He said, I want you to lead me to one person today that I can share Jesus with. He didn't try to do 10. He just said one. So every day, Smith Wigglesworth believed. And you know, if we even just start doing that, it's amazing how the Lord will just lead us. And sometimes it's almost unconscious. These kind of things happened to me on the trip that I was just on because I was... I don't know, I was in Arizona, California, Ohio, South Carolina, Texas, I mean, uh, Oklahoma, uh, Missouri, on this last trip, in all those different places. And it's almost like I had like opening statements. I never noticed this before, but I had an opening statement with people that I sat next to on the plane. And somehow that, and it almost unconsciously came to me that I said something and that statement opened up a door and I was able to tell them about the Lord before we landed. And I thought, I don't think that's ever happened to me. I felt like I came out of my shell, but I've also went to another level. It was almost like unconscious because I've been believing God for that grace to do the mission that we're on the earth for. So um, Jesus said this in verse John eight twenty eight. He said, 
when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own. So I felt like it was very interesting that Jesus himself, he, he said, I don't do anything on my own. He was always in relationship and fellowship with the Lord. This is just the way that we can live. It's really up to us if we want to live this way. But Jesus did nothing on his own. And then Paul, let's look at him a little bit. Uh, he didn't do life or ministry alone either. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, uh, he, he said this, I'm the least of the apostles and I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I per persecuted the church of God. So we know Paul was a violent persecutor. He was violent. And here's a side thought about that. I was thinking about that. It's really easy for us Christians, and especially Christians, you know the word, you know what's right, you know what's wrong, you have morals, you, you, morality is really important to you, the right and wrong thing, and then we see people that do things, and it makes us angry, now, at least I deal with that. And so I, one of the ones I struggled w with was especially abortion, you know, and, and I learned something just here recently, I didn't notice this until, but I thought, wow, Paul actually killed Christians and he persecuted the church, but God had a big thing for him. And then when I got that thought, then this came to me, the people that pass legislation and do things that really, I, it makes me angry. And I felt like when I saw that, I thought, I need to put my flesh under, put the anger of, under, and I need to ask the Lord to send a laborer to these people that make policies that are ungodly and have a laborer go and share Jesus with that person because it's very possible God might have something for them like he had for Paul. That was like a new thought. That really helped me. It, it helps me to not like hold a grudge or to be angry. And maybe you're not like me, but I don't know. I, these kind of things can be troublesome to me. So this helped me. When you see politicians, when you hear politicians talk, and when you hear them say things that are contrary to Scripture, it's a good time to pray instead of be angry. Now, Paul, you know, he changed immediately after he received Jesus as Lord. And so going along with this whole theme about grace, look at, look at some of these quotes here. This is J.I. Packer. It says, in the New Testament, grace means God's love and action Toward, towards men who merited the opposite of love. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Paul was in that category. He was a religious sinner. But God saved him. Many, there's people sitting here and you know the past that you came out of. And God did that for you. Here's another on C.I. Schofield. Grace is not looking for good men whom it may approve. For it is not grace but mere justice to approve goodness. Rather, it is looking, that's grace, for condemned, guilty, speechless, and helpless men whom it may save, sanctify, and glorify 
we're, we're in the church age. It's the age of grace. We're not, in the, we're not in a season where God is judging. We're in a season where God is saving. And so we have to remember as Christians, if we let that really saturate us, that we have our outlook when we go out the doors and when we experience what's out there, our outlook can change if these things get really real to us. It isn't till the rapture and the church is taken out of here that the wrath of God is going to fall on the earth. But right now we're in a, in a time of, he's not judging. The Bible says he's not judging the world, but he sent his son to save the world. Okay. Here's another one. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. Really simple. And how that happened with me and my brothers. You saw my brothers there. Joe and Mike, the pastors, they were the worst ones up on that photo. And they're pastoring now. And you've heard me tell that story. My, my brother Joe was a crook. He robbed. He was, you know, he loved to beat people up. Uh, I think I told you the story how he bought a gun. Right, He bought a gun, and a few weeks before he got saved, he got a gun on the black market. You know, Joe's the one in the back, back there with the black on. And uh, he, got, he bought a gun on the black market. And he said, I'm going to show you my baby. I said, what, that's, what is it for? And he said, I, I, he said, Tony, I hate people. And he said, now I have something to kill the people I hate. He got saved two weeks later. Threw the gun away. But see, see, that's the people that we're on the earth for. And we have to make sure we don't have like make, we don't want Christianity to become a self-righteous club where we look down on everyone. We're, we're here to preach the good news to people. Okay. So, <clears throat> hallelujah. Here's one more. Well, here's a thought before I do this. A person who is really saved by grace does not need to be pressured and told he must live right and serve his Savior. The grace and new life within him tells him those things. That happened to me and my brothers. No one was twisting our arms saying you have to serve and you have to do this because when we got saved, the grace on the inside of us told us to do that. We were in church every Sunday after we got saved and we were the last ones. They turned the lights out on us. We were, we were some sinners that got saved and he that's forgiven of much loves much and we loved much. We got kicked out of church every week when we got saved. And, uh, and um, so the person that really gets saved and has God's grace, he doesn't regard it as a heavy burden or a hard yoke. He surrenders himself to God, spirit, soul, and body willingly and happily. The grace that saves our spirit will also supernaturally change our lives. So here's one more quote. It's, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. And how true that is with my brothers and myself. Where grace found us, you know, but it didn't leave us there. God loves everyone the way they are, but he loves them so much. If he can get them and get on the inside of them, he loves them so much that he wants to change them. Praise God. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. But what I am, I am by the grace of God, and his grace bestowed upon me did not prove 
ineffectual, but I labored more strenuously than all the rest. Yet it was not I, but God's grace working with me. So I've seen, uh, you know, being in various places around the world, and I was in one place, and I was with uh, some younger Christians that just heard a really good message on grace, but they were young. So the way they interpreted it was like grace. We, it's like God did everything, and we don't have to do nothing, and let, let's just sit down and just enjoy it because it's all grace. And I said, I don't think that's what that message was saying, you know, because you see that Paul... He said, I labored more strenuously than they all, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God. And so, you know, we can labor in God's grace. How do you do it? Well, prayer is one way, but when you labor, you get, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. We're going to look at it real soon here. Okay. So, um, yeah, let's do that. Let's just finish up today and talk about grace and how, like just three things on how it can become more available more abundant for us. So here's the first one. God's word makes grace available. So you, you, you know, and, and how, why do I say that? Acts 20 and verse 24. Notice there uh, that Paul said, I want to finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. So notice that it says the gospel of the grace of God there. The gospel, gospel means good news, and grace is unmerited favor. So we're in the church age, so our message is the good news of unmerited favor, letting everyone know you can get something that you don't deserve. You might deserve judgment, but because God's good, you can have grace. You don't deserve it. That's a good message. And so Paul, he's making it really clear that God's word makes grace available. When you preach good news, God takes the word and he starts working on people's hearts with that. So when Paul, so, so even when you want to personally labor in the grace, you take God's word because it's the word of grace. So you want to labor in the grace, you can do it through prayer. You take the word and you feed and meditate on it. That is God, it's the word of grace and it starts working on you. That's when Paul said, I labored in that. That's one thing that he did. He labored in the grace by laboring in the word. And then here's one last scripture because there, it's in there more than one time. And I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So there again, it's just another scripture and it says the word of his grace. Here's some thoughts. You know, as Christians, we shouldn't use Old Testament scriptures that bring about guilt, shame, condemnation and try to push that on unbelievers that are sinners because sinners sin. And the way that you get a sinner's attention is with the gospel of grace, good news. They need to hear. So if you use Old Testament scriptures on, uh, on them and make them feel totally worthless, it's not going to really help them. God works with the word of grace. And, and so you see the apostles in the early church in the book of Acts, when they would leave a place, they would, it was said they commended them to the grace of God. Every time, almost every time they left a place, they were commended. Those people, those groups were commended to the grace of God. The best place we can point people is to the goodness, the good gospel, the good news of God's unmerited favor. That's a good place to point people. So um, any part of the good news, the gospel, will bring grace into that realm or area. So when I heard you must be born again, there's saving grace. 
I went to the Bible study to rescue my brother. God works with his word. God's word makes grace available. I went to rescue my brother. They said one scripture, you must be born again. And when I heard you must be born again, God started to work that on my heart, that I must be born again. God works with his word. So every single area, there's a scripture for those things. So God works with his word. So if we want grace, one way to have more grace is it's the word of grace. Go to the good news. Go to the epistles that written to the church. All right, the second thing is we can humble ourselves to God in his word. Now, here's something that um, Charles Spurgeon said. He said, do not become self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is Satan's net where he catches men like poor silly fish and destroys them. Be not self-sufficient. The way to grow strong in Christ is to become weak in yourself. God pours no power into a man's heart till man's power is all poured out. Live then daily a life of dependence on the grace of God. So that's uh, the way that Charles Spurgeon described us humbling ourselves. Now here's St. Augustine, and, th and this says, Otherwise grace is no more grace since it is bestowed on us, not because we have done good works, but that it may be able, that we may be able to do them. My, I'm an, my brothers and I are another example. We didn't deserve anything. We deserved punishment for our behavior. We got grace, not because we deserved it, but once we got the grace, everything changed on the inside and we started to do good works because we wanted to. That's one way you know that he's on the inside of you. You want to do. Not every Christian does the right thing all the time, but when they do the wrong thing because he's in there, they want to say, confess that. And, they, and you know you want to do the right thing. And that's, that's what he's doing on the inside. So Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 3, 5. He said, not that of ourselves we are competent to decide anything by our own reasoning. But our competency comes from God. Paul knew that. It is he also who has made us competent to serve him in connection with a new covenant, which is not a written code, but a spirit. For the written code inflicts death. And see, that's why we don't want to use the wrong Old Testament scriptures. There's a lot of good Old Testament scriptures, but the wrong Old Testament scriptures, it can inflict death. But the spirit, grace, and the good news, the spirit gives life. And then one last thing, because Jesus said this, uh, John 15, 4, he said, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So we grace, we want grace available, the word. Uh, then what else? Humble ourselves. We humble ourselves and we abide in him. And then lastly, uh, we can pray. Now, I'm going to go a certain direction on this as we finish up because this can be really big. There's so many kinds of prayer, but I want to just focus this 
because of the mission we have as a church and because of the days that we're living in. I saw about 10 pastors. My, two of them were my brothers when I was back there. I didn't speak in 10 churches, but I fellowshiped at least with 10 different pastors. And it's like we're all, see, we're all saying like, wow, we've really never been in a time like this before. Now, I know that throughout the, the ages, and, and my, my aunt, I, I, went to, I went to Arizona to see my 90-year-old aunt. She's the one that worked for uh, Walt Disney. I just flew in, and I flew in, drove there, ate supper with her, ate breakfast, went to the airport, and then went to California. And I, I spoke in a church last week in California. But I just wanted to see my aunt because she was like 90 years old, and I didn't know, you know, how she was doing. And so I began sharing Scripture with her because I want to make sure that she's going to heaven. And then I brought up to her about the days that we're living in, and, uh, you know, somehow we got on Armageddon. She goes, I heard it 50 years ago about the Battle of Armageddon. She goes, 50 years ago. She goes, you know, and she was kind of disturbed about it, you know, because 50 years ago she heard that. And I just said, well, you know, there's a lot of people that start talking, but the church age uh, is to be about 2,000 years. So when somebody starts talking about things at a time, you're surely not going to see them come to pass. And so what I've noticed is the 10 pastors that I talked to, uh, two of them were my brothers, they're all sensing that we're really close. They're not putting any dates on or anything like that. But that just really what it does for me, it reminds me of why are we on the earth? Is it to believe for a new car? Is it to believe for a new house? Is it to make our savings account bigger? You know, and all that. And God wants to bless us. I'm not saying he does, but that is so shallow because we can't take any of that with us. But what we can take with us is souls. And we are on the earth because Jesus died and shed his blood for sinners. And that's why we're here. So I'm, so I'm, going to, I'm directing this to James chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the latter rain. And, and so the reason that he isn't back yet is because of the precious fruit. So we are the church. We are here to give the good news out to those sinners out there. And some of them can be the worst of sinners. God saves killers. He, God saves people that kill. God saves perverted people. He saves everyone that comes to him. Jesus died for those people. This is why we're here. We have a mission to get the gospel out. So he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. That's the harvest of people's spirits. So then look at Zechariah. What do you do? So we're talking about grace to run the race. And I'm, focused, I'm bringing it to a focus now on our mission. Look what it says. It says, ask the Lord for rain. Put that in capital letters. In the time of the latter rain. We're in the last days in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain. Grass in the field for everyone. Now there's different ways you can interpret that, but... In the Old Testament, the word grass, it's associated with people. So when you think about grass and everyone's filled, it means that every Christian can find somebody that's lost and every Christian can lead somebody to the Lord. That's grass in your field. We can all do this. We can all do this. We, we want to have a heart for the lost. 
He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. Ask the Lord for rain in these days. And then um, the Lord will make flashing clouds. I would like to think that the flashing clouds are like healings and signs and wonders and miracles. That the Lord, when he... When we ask for rain, it's like grace and the glory of God getting poured out on us. And those things happen out there. You know, Smith Wigglesworth had a lot of, he had, he was a plumber and some of his most distinctive miracles didn't happen in church. They happened in people's homes. Everyone, he wasn't, he didn't really, he wasn't like in the ministry then he did. He was like a plumber and when somebody called, he would have to, he, sometimes he had grease on his hands and he'd go to somebody's house and he'd begin laboring in the grace of God and they would have an amazing miracle or healing. It was like a one-on-one -on -one thing. Everyone that's a Christian, you can do one-on-one -on -one ministry. We have a mission to do. This is our mission. So ask the Lord. So flashing clouds. And then it says he will give showers of rain. Now, I, I see showers of rain like when, when his presence and grace rains down, what, it does something for the sinner. It will soften the sinner's hearts. So when we ask for rain and he pours that down on the earth, he's drawing sinners. He's, he's drawing sinners. They get hungry and he's softening their hearts. But then that same rain that does that for them, it can make Christians come alive. You know, I know that it's good to hear good teaching, but we want to make sure we don't live for the next message, but we live for the mission. We, we get fed, but then we do something with it. We live for the mission, not that we have to, we have to find, always find a better revelation or something deeper or more dynamic, but like there's people out there that could go to hell. So thank God for the good teaching, but we have a mission. Is that okay to say? Then one last scripture. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. So when we ask for rain, it's like the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that gives all the gifts, he comes down, he comes to us. I'm not saying he's leaving the throne or anything, but it's the presence and the glory of God and his grace that comes to us so we can run our race, so we can, the word, humbling ourselves, and prayer. Those are things that we can do. So I'd like to end today by us praying and asking the Lord for rain. Okay, so I'm gonna start, but please do the same thing. You, don't, you can pray it soft or loud, but let's all ask for rain. And then we'll pray a little bit in the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you. Father, I just thank you, Father. Thank you for rain. You said in the last days that we can ask for rain. So, Father, we ask that you pour yourself out on us. Pour yourself out on our area. Pour yourself out on Queensland, on all the states in Australia. Pour yourself out on the islands. Pour yourself around. Father, we ask that rain would be poured out on the earth. Your glory. Father, that we would have that grace and glory and anointing to do our mission even more effectively. Father, that, uh, that you would have showers on people's hearts. The church, the, the, the sleeping giant of the world would come alive. 
the, the church would come, the, the, the showers would soften the hearts, Father, of every believer, and they would awaken to the mission why we're on the earth, Father, and that we would go forth and we, and each believer would have grass in their field, Lord. We ask that. I want to just pray a little bit in the Holy Spirit. We're, we're a spirit-filled church. You're welcome to pray in the Holy Spirit in your, in your seats. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Go on and you can pray in the Spirit. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can pray in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for rain. Thank you, Lord, for rain. We thank you, Father God. We desire to run our race with your grace. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for making us really aware of our mission on the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now we could go on, but I wanted to just give you an example of the way you could pray. And by grace, not by works or any, not by condemnation, but as a church, let's just not pray this on a Sunday. You can pray it every single day. I don't know about you, but I want him to come, but he's not coming because of the precious fruit. So we can all do this. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.